Welcome to Things That Keep Us Up at Night, the podcast. I'm your host, Abby Desjardin, entrepreneur, recovering workaholic, sleep evangelist, wife, and mother of three very expressive, courageous, and assertive girls. I'm on a mission to empower women through better sleep. If you want actionable steps to solve the problems that keep you up at night, you're in the right place. From finances to hormones, parenting to politics, relationships, and business, we'll talk about all of it. Let's get started. No, 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 I can't sleep, I can't sleep, no, no. Hello and welcome. I am so excited for you to hear from our guest today. Jessica Bird is an author and digital creator on a mission to share the gifts of inner healing, gracious living, and serendipity with others. As a survivor of sexual assault, child abuse, and a woman living with cystic fibrosis, Jessica understands the struggle between being an intentional force of loving kindness in the world while also honoring and nurturing the calling of your own soul. Jessica, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor. Well, I am really excited to dig into our topics today because I find you such an inspiration and I think your story is just an incredible story of bravery and vulnerability and I just think you have so much to offer our listeners. And so I thought we could start with a brief <laughs> uh, overview of your story. How did you end up where you are today? Oh my goodness. Okay, brief. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's a big story. I don't know if you've seen my writing before, but it takes me three years to write one sentence and like two months to write a whole book. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's see, let's start about three, four years ago when I started my business. So I started out, I, I grew up in an abusive household, I guess. We'll go back even further. I grew up in an abusive household. There was, you know, drugs. I was just not taken care of. I took care of all of my siblings. I'm the oldest of five. And I ended up just doing everything for everybody else from a really young age. And then there was nobody really paying attention to or taking care of me. So in my adulthood, this came out as always putting myself aside and just wanting to be exactly what everybody else needed and be really quiet and not make waves and just stay out of the way. And then I started a business and I realized if you want to connect in the world, if you want to sell awesome books that you write, if you want to meet people, you can't just be quiet and be what everybody wants you to be. So I started listening to myself and just getting curious about what really called me. I don't think I even knew what it was like to want something at that point. I had been so tuned out to my own desires. So three years ago, I was married. I was living very, very far from the ocean, which I'm in love with and wanted every day of my life. And I never spoke up about anything. And today, I have moved across the country. I live in Florida right now. I'm kind of digital nomad traveling with just my business and my income. I've written two books, one of which was a really vulnerable story on healing after being raped. I'm, I'm divorced and I have never slept better in my life. 
(laughs) (laughs) And why do you think that is? I think it's because I quit being nice and started being kind. And there's a big difference there. I was kind enough to give myself what I needed to have boundaries, to really listen so that I couldn't, so that I could actually deliver on the promises I made people. And so that when I was having conversations or when I was making connections with other humans, it wasn't like I was just going to be pushed around and then resent them later for whatever happened. Instead, it was like I was an active participant. I had real relationships. And it gave me this new sense of power and trust in myself. But it also made it so that people who were talking to me always knew that they could trust that I would never harm myself or put myself down or just kind of betray that friendship by not expressing my own needs. You know how frustrating it is if you've been talking with somebody and making plans and then you go through with it all and then later find out that wasn't what they wanted at all and they didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. I had that happen in every single instance in every relationship in my life until I realized there was a difference between being nice and being kind. Well, and I think it's being kind to yourself, which also in turn is being kind to other people, right? It's a two-way street. Exactly. When you do what's best for you, then you can do even better by everybody else. But if you don't take care of you, you're going to burn out really quickly. Yeah. And then, so this discovery um, led you to what you call your serendipity lifestyle. Can you explain to us a little bit more about what that means? Serendipity lifestyle is like radical honesty and freedom. And I think it's freedom in that honesty. Because in order to create this lifestyle where I get to follow what feels right to me, not just what feels good, it's not what's comfortable, not by any means. (laughs) (laughs) But it's that deeper calling. It's what, you know, when you're, I don't know, you get this feeling in your heart that's just like a, a yes, like do that. That's exciting. And I think most of us, we get that feeling like we have these big ideas, big dreams, big goals, and we hear that yes. And then we stuff it back down like, no, 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 you be quiet. I can't do that. Who am I to even know? <laughs> exactly. You come up with all the reasons that it can't yeah. happen, right? Mm-hmm. The serendipity lifestyle is about not stuffing that down, but instead being like, huh, all right, I'm listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you don't necessarily have to let it in and dive after every idea, but instead you just kind of make some space. You make space for serendipity in your life. And just stay curious and and go with what happens from there, from that making space versus from no, 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 be quiet. (laughs) Yeah. So if there's somebody out there listening and they are shaking or nodding their head, yes, like, oh, yeah, that's me. That happens, which I think we've all had happen, right? It's not something that is rare. It happens all the time. What is that first step that someone can take towards living a life that is honoring what they want? Breathe. (laughs) (laughs) This is my thing. When I first started trying to listen to myself, I noticed that when I was stuffing things down, because I don't think we consciously do it. It just kind of, it's like a domino effect. We have an idea and suddenly we have this long list of reasons we can't follow it. So what I noticed was when that hit, it was fear and I would stop breathing. I would literally hold my breath or I would breathe in, but I would barely breathe out. 
So the very first baby step for me was when I noticed that my shoulders are up in my ears and I don't want to think about this super exciting idea. (laughs) And I have this list of no's. Just breathe all the way out. Mm -hmm. All the way. And I think just doing that, you're already naturally making the space. You're making space for a little bit of curiosity. You're making space for serendipity. And you're giving yourself this conscious detach from the fear. And just that little bitty break can spark some serious magic. Yeah. And I think something you said a couple minutes ago is really important in that it's not the easy thing, right? Mm -mm. And a lot of times it does not feel good right away. It feels scary and unknown and like you are taking a leap off a cliff. Yeah. But exactly. it's the feeling that comes <laughs> afterward, right? That's the goal. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's something that, like anything else, you get better with practice. Like you have the experience of doing it. And maybe you start out with little bitty things. When I first started this making space for serendipity, it was just thinking about what I wanted to do that day. It was like, well, what's one inspired action I could take? And some crazy idea would pop into my head. And I'd be like, I know, I never leave the house. I am not going anywhere. You can't make me. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was just, you know, what, what would I, what's inspiring to me today? What do I want to try? And that just got me to do little bitty things like leave the house once in a while. I had really, really severe anxiety for a long time and I literally didn't leave the house. So I didn't go from that to moving across the country to a place I've never been (laughs) (laughs) overnight. It took three years (laughs) (laughs) and a lot of times of just listening to the one thing that would inspire me today and going for it. I love that. You just have to practice and be gentle with yourself about it. Yeah. Always. Right. You will make mistakes. And Mm -hmm. some of those crazy ideas you get may not necessarily work out, but you'll learn something from them and you can take that lesson on to your next crazy idea. Yes. There's also (laughs) this feeling of freedom. Like this is when I started sleeping better, actually, because I had a lot of trouble sleeping before, too. I used to be up all night, every night, and I would kind of sleep in the afternoon sometimes. It was I was like a slave to inspiration that I never acted on. It was very messy. Mm-hmm. And then I started following this inspiration and I would do the scary thing. And sometimes I still was like, did I do the right thing? Like this letter I wrote recently to my grandpa over the election, I wrote him a letter um, just sharing how betrayed I felt that he voted for somebody who would harm me and my friends. And we're, we're really close, but for me to put this letter out publicly was a big, big step. Yeah. And, and such an important one, I feel like. Yeah, that was a defining moment in my journey for sure. And I'm still kind of reeling because that was the scariest thing I have ever done. (laughs) Yeah. And I think something that, you know, a lot of people are struggling with this right now because we've been taught that you don't, you know, as they say, talk about politics with your friends Mm -hmm. and family. And you know, you just keep quiet and it's something that you believe in your head, but you shouldn't really talk about it. And I think over the last four or five years, it's become very obvious that 
it's not a matter of politics. It's a matter of like basic human rights and people's right to live the life that feels right to them. Right. Exactly. I think also when you look at like the people being told to be quiet about politics, it's, it's not the white Christian American men. It's everybody else. Exactly. (laughs) Like if they want to talk about it, they are cheered on. They're encouraged. People sit and listen. It's when you come out and you look like a little girl and you talk about women's rights. That's when you're told to be quiet. Or when you talk about your friends and how, you know, you don't want to see their parents deported and how your friends shouldn't have to be afraid for their lives just because of the color of their skin. That's when they say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, little girl. Be quiet. Don't talk about politics. Leave that to these big white guys in power. Yeah, because talking about it brings light to it. And that threatens the power that they are so desperate to hold on to. Mm hmm. It reminds me of even like talking about money, like you're not supposed to talk about money, Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to talk about how much you make. And that to me was something that I couldn't live with. That's actually one of the things that pushed me into the serendipity lifestyle. Because I was working in a corporate job, and I knew that I was making less than everybody else there. And I brought it up to my boss, and my boss didn't want to talk about it. And I brought it up in the office to a couple other people, and they were not happy. Yeah, (laughs) And I was like, well, I can't just not be honest about things that I know. Like, how am I going to sleep at night if I know that I'm helping people hide this awful secret? I cannot do that. I need to be able to speak to the truth. And so kind of circling back around to that letter that you wrote, what was kind Mm -hmm. of the final... Was there one thing that kind of pushed you into, okay, I'm, I am writing this and I'm going to share it publicly? Yeah, it was actually a lot about my business and the impact that I want to make. Because I, I've started this community, this serendipity sisterhood, which is supposed to be a space for women to come and find themselves and to use their voices and to learn to listen to that inner inspiration and do the scary thing. And I was thinking, like, why aren't they already doing that? Why do they need my help? Well, it's because we live in this world where they're told to be quiet and where it's scary to speak your truth. And where, as much as I love him, people like my grandpa get to be in charge of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So when I was looking at this, I was thinking, yeah, I could just have this talk with my grandpa, but it feels like something much, much bigger. It feels like if I want to truly be a part of the change I want to see and if I want to show these women that I'm leading and that are in my community that I'm not just here with them, but I'm also championing for them, then I needed to speak out and be brave enough to share it on a bigger level. I needed to allow the impact to ripple louder, which meant doing something a little scarier and really putting it out there. Yeah, it was hard because I didn't know if I was going to lose my grandpa over it. And he's been the one person in my life I've always been closest to. But at the same time, it was so liberating to just have it out there. And to not hold back on my truth just because of one person. Well, and I think when you have that inner conflict, it's again, like we've been talking about, it's so easy to just push it down and no, I shouldn't talk about that or I shouldn't dream about that. And so, like you said, it's easier to sleep at night when it's all out there. You know, you've done 
everything you could and you know you've said everything you needed to say. And what happens after that is out of your control. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So one more question about that situation. I heard you say I could have lost my grandpa. Um, what happened after the letter? We're still unfolding. The impact is definitely still rippling through my family. (laughs) But overall, it didn't explode the way that I thought it would with him, which was good. I felt so guilty for how much I knew it was going to hurt him to see that I saw him in that light. And you know, I really dove into it and said, you know, this is what I, you've taught me growing up. This is, these are the beliefs you've instilled in me and you're not living them. I pointed that out, which to me on one hand really felt like an attack, but on the other hand, it was really just a vulnerable account of the story that I needed to share with the world in the form of a letter to my grandpa. Mm -hmm. So I explained that to him and at first he was like, I'm proud of you. I just, I just can't talk about this right now. You know, and I, I knew he, you know, he was proud that I used my voice. He's proud that he taught me to stand up for people. But that's a lot to swallow. Yeah, <laughs> it is. The latest official is he says he's chosen not to respond, but he still loves me. And so we've been talking and I'm still sitting with, okay, how do I feel about this? But that's where mm-hmm. we are. And I like, I feel at peace with it because on one hand, I still want to talk about it with him. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> obviously. But on the other hand, I've gotten hundreds of messages from other women who have had this conversation now with their dads and their grandpas, and it's changing their whole family. And I think and every that's single one has so been amazing. Positive. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think it it goes back to the idea that you have no control over other people's thoughts or feelings or actions, right? But mm-hmm. if you are living true to to what you believe and you've said what you need to say, then that's enough. Right. This yeah. also came with such a feeling of relief because in my family, I've always been really quiet about my political stance. Mm-hmm. I share like our history. We're, we're very, very white from Missouri, very Christian. <laughs> that's my yeah. family. And I never really fit in there. And I never felt at home. And I... I was almost ashamed and embarrassed to be associated with them. And I had to bite my tongue a lot. And now that I've said this, I don't have to bite my tongue anymore. And it is rippling. I've already seen it change the way that they talk to people, the way that they look at the world, the things that they're quick to shout out and support. They stop and think about it now. Mm -hmm. So as uncomfortable as it was for me, it was worth it because people are thinking and they are living more intentionally. And that's all I could ask for is just to, live a little more mindfully. Yeah. And I think it's a good reminder that we can, by living our truth, we help other people do the same. And like you said, just not that it was simple to share your story, but doing so brought so much, I guess it gave permission to other people to do the same. Exactly. And I feel like, yeah, that sharing from a kind place really hits differently than somebody that they don't know trying to have that conversation with them. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I really think if you want to make a change in the world, if you want to make a change on any level, it does start at home. It starts in your family. Yeah. Yeah, that is so true. Oh, well. No pressure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all up to you. <laughs> it is, though. It's true. It's we We think that we have no influence in the world, but we really have so much if we're just willing to get a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And if we're willing to accept the influence right next to us, I think yeah. sometimes we want like a big TV show or we need some big debut. But no, all your little ripple needs to start is to look at the person right in front of you, yeah, and be radically true to yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is so true. Oh, oh. So if people are interested in learning more about how to live the serendipity lifestyle or any more about your story or they want to read the letter, where would they go to do that? They should come over to my website at theserendipitylifestyle.com. And the letter is hiding in my blog. It's pretty recent. (laughs) (laughs) So it's up there. Perfect. I will put that in the show notes as well. Um, is there any one last piece of wisdom that you want to leave our guests with today? I would just want to say, trust yourself. Because even if you do something and it ends up being wrong, the fact that you trusted yourself is going to help you build a deeper relationship with that loving core at the very center of you, which is never wrong. So trust yourself because you don't just have to trust that every decision is right. What you have to trust is that you're going to make it through every decision and do better the next time. Yes. Yes. I love that so much. It is safe to trust yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, Jessica, thank you so much for being here today. I hope you will all go check out more about the serendipity lifestyle and I will see you next week. Thanks, Abby. Thanks for listening to Things That Keep Us Up at Night. If you liked this episode, please visit us at thingsthatkeepusupatnight.com or subscribe and leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcast.